Today's podcast is sponsored by Hearable, the book reading subscription for people who are too lazy to read by themselves or simply too much of a dullard to know how. When you take out a Hearable subscription, a peasant will follow you around as you get on with your business. No, not that sort of business. And they will read a book to you while you work. Hearable offers a wide selection of more than six books, including The Half-Life of Cheese by C.J. Cheddar, The Importance of Being Important by Lord Bunting of Lee, Adventures in Crop Rotation by Jess Frimlington, Candles and Their Uses by James Lucerne, Memoirs of a Blanket Weaver by Amelia Textual, the best-selling Tale of Two Mid-Sized Towns by Charles Spiggins, and uh, that's the entire library. Hearable is only three groats every full moon. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Morris, a.k.a. Russ, or Russ, a.k.a. Morris, and with me is my high-int, low-wisk co-host... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Role Players. Russ, has ever, it's a pleasure to be joining you as a, one of the founding wizards of Pod. Russ, 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 excitingly. What, what, what is it, Peter? What is it? Well, I have with me a game designer, Russ. Wow. I know, someone who actually has this as a job. Who would have thought this could happen? Only us. Um, his wow. name's Ed. Hi, Ed. Hello. Yes. Oh, he's all the way from Kew in London. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's Kew. Is it Chiswick? A- Acton. Acton. Oh, uh, and not as in Acton Cthulhu, but Acton as in the rather large London borough. Uh, I'm afraid so, yes. That's okay. We will try not to hold it against you, but I make no promises at this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I, I uh, this weekend I was at Dragon Meat. I think, were you there as well, Ed? I was. I was. I was I, right I, by I the I assumed you would have been being based in I didn't see you there, but I assumed you would have been based in London. Yeah. You were not there, were you, Peter? No, no, um, I was doing something much more prosaic. I was at a wine tasting. So, uh, uh, Peter, would you like to introduce Ed to our listeners? Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, well, Ed Jarrett's done a number of successful Kickstarters and a interesting and varied product range, including Era Consortium, which has been named as an extremely interesting uh, science fiction game, which is all about time travel. Era Balan, which is the RPG world's answer to Space Above and Beyond. Mm. And then we've also got a superheroes game and a horror game. I believe, Ed, you're just off a, what's it, a four or five week stint of recording a um, actual play podcast slash radio drama. That is right. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I mean, I was also doing an actual play because I'm doing an actual play all the time. Um, and we're also doing a radio drama set in the era of the Consortium universe. Okay, fantastic. So for people who are... We'll, we'll get on to all that in a bit. Yeah. We've got we've got the news and stuff to do first, but then in about in a few minutes we'll we'll we'll, we'll devote our our attention directly on you there, Ed. And yes, talk fine. at length about you and your stuff. I, I I can do that at length. Ask anyone <laughs> who's ever walked up to me at a convention. <laughs> <laughs> that's one skill that's useful to have at a convention. I find. Russ, Russ. Yes, yes, Peter. Russ, I was wondering, what has caught your eye this week? Well, because I was at Dragon Meat, lots and lots and lots of things caught my eye. So I have to pick one. So what I went with is one of my only purchases at Dragon Meat, because I was good. I didn't spend too much, although I was tempted to. And uh, I don't know if you can see it. I have it here. So this is the Uh giant book of battle maps. Oh, wow. That is massive. That is massive. You can see the size of it. So 
Yeah. So that's what, A3 so, size? So what this is, um, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure what A3 is, actually. Um, like double A4 or quadruple yeah, A4? Yeah, double sorry. A4, yeah. Yeah. But then what you do is you open them up, and it's actually double that. Oh, yes. So what you basically got, these are all dry arrays, nice shiny dry array stuff. And it's, So you uh, open them up and you've got, uh, you've got some inns and you've got temples and you've got city streets and sewers and lava fields and all sorts of stuff like that. Can you see them there? Yeah, yeah. I've actually got something similar. Um, what's the name of the company? Um, this is... It looks very familiar. Um, yeah, this was uh, Loke, Loke or Loki, L-O-K-E, Battle Mats. Um, yeah, I've, I think I've, got, I've actually got a smaller version. Yeah, yeah, they do an A4 one. I ran into them at UK Games Expo last year, uh, this year, yeah. Yeah, this year. Yeah, they're a UK-based yeah. company, and yeah, it's uh, if it's yeah. Like well, they, 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 they kickstarted this earlier this year, apparently, mm-hmm. and um, they've also got a sci-fi one, which I really, really want. Ooh, but yeah. that doesn't come out until March. No, no, okay. But I am totally, totally, totally excited about getting my hands on that thing. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, for, yeah. So Loki or Loke battle maps look amazing. Yes, but for the listeners at home, what you're getting is essentially it's a ring binder book which has a picture cut into little grid squares uh, on the middle of it, and they're generally very high quality pictures. And as Russ has mentioned, dry rays. Yeah. And yeah. Pretty pretty solid. Sixty-two product. maps in total cost me about thirty quid, I believe, if I recall oh, correctly. Bargain. Although unfortunately, they did not have a carrier bag. To fit the book, and I had to walk around London with this giant book of battle mats in my hand, which got some really weird looks on the tube and stuff. Well, fair enough. Hey. Hey, it was all, it was all, all just jealousy. All just jealousy. <laughs> yeah, that must have been it. That's what those looks were. Pure envy. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, what, what caught your eye this week, Peter? Well, I saw a very nice review of Wrath and Glory. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. De- definitely looks like it's going to be an interesting game. And uh, it was going into a lot more detail about the mechanics of how they're going to uh, actually implement the system with uh, Wrath, Glory, and uh, Ruin being the like the final sort of meta currency in the game because all of those are meta currencies. So, and how they work with the dice pool system. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be quite an interesting 40k game. They're taking a very different approach from Fantasy Flight. So you will no longer need to like do a lot of faffing around to try and fit Space Marines and literally anyone else in the same party without it just being the Space Marine show plus friends. And hopefully yeah. not, they're not using those funny dice either. They're not using those funny dice. Um, that was Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, Dark Heresy... Uh, Space, uh, but, but Death Watch, Only War, all that sort of thing. They used the D100 system, so it's actually using a D6 dice pool system. So, yeah. Oh, I saw, I saw the new Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay at Dragon Meat, actually, up at Cubicle 7's booth. Didn't buy yeah. it, but uh, my friend Al, who was there with, bought a copy of it. It does look pretty amazing. Well, I've been hearing very good things about it. They're actually playing it in the Monday Gaming Club that I'm going to, and uh, they're having a great time. It's like the casualty rate is horrendous they're like well yeah we, we, we lost another couple of pcs this 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 week i'm like well one of my guys made a death saving throw he's not done that before <laughs> <laughs> hey so yeah. ed you were up at dragon meat did anything catch your eyes particularly actually uh yeah i was approached by uh world anvil who are actually stand right behind us because we were right at the entrance so you you actually did mm. walk past us 
Russ. Um, without <laughs> I'm notion, sure Russ. I did. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I did pretty much walk around the entire thing. I must have walked past you a dozen times, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, but World Anvil, they are a group who are trying to help people, if I understood right, they're trying to help people sort of build their worlds within their system and, and bring them to players. Yeah, I saw, I saw them as well, yeah. I'll be honest, I don't know too much about it. It's on my list to research now that I'm home, because obviously being an exhibitor, you have other things on your mind at the time. But uh, yeah, yeah. it certainly <laughs> looked interesting, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's worth a closer look, so I'm going to have a check. Yeah, I mean, when they say they help you build a world, what, what exactly is it that they are offering? Is it I like- wish I could tell you. But I'm not entirely kind of, sure as, because I haven't got around as, to researching them yet. As I understood yet. it, and again, I'm kind of like you. I kind of spoke to them a little bit, had a quick look at it, but I, I kind of need to sort of dive in properly to understand it. So, as I understood it, it's basically a tool to help you categorize um, various aspects of your world. So it's like a campaign manager, but it's a very slick, sort of very pretty campaign manager. So you could have like a sort of database of all the different, I don't know, monsters in your world or different types of spaceships or different planets or different races or, you know, all, the, all this sort of stuff. And you can just create lots and lots of different um, collections of maps and blog notes and all sorts of different things just to sort of help you organise the sort of world building side of, of gaming, as I understand it. Yeah, that, that was broadly what I understood as well. Um, they did mention about being able to sort of have stuff that's... Um, they've even got it set up so that, like, patrons, if you have a Patreon... Uh, can see mm. content that no one else can see. Yeah, that's clever. I might have to look into that. Oh. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I, I may be mistaken, but was there a virtual tabletop attached as well? That, I'm going to be honest, I'm really not sure. Uh, it wasn't mentioned to me when we spoke oh. about it. I may I may be misremembering, but I, I, I seem to have this, this vague recollection of the chap I was talking to mentioning that. Yeah, well, certainly we'll be able to find out more from the website, and that will be in the show notes for the for this episode yes. yes it will we will yeah. put it in those show notes absolutely all right then shall we shall we get on with the news oh go on then Let's... nothing like a bit of news yeah okay then so we're going to start with <laughs> as we always seem to start with a bit of D news oh yes yeah yeah it's always D news isn't there well i, I think daryl's uh, sent us over a big wadder of stuff that isn't D news so we might, yeah could yeah, we'll have a look at that some pieces in there um, well, let's, let's, I've got the D&D one in front of me right now. So um, yeah. the D&D basic rules, you know the free D&D basic rules that you can yeah, download yeah. as a PDF? The system um, reference document and that sort of jazz, yeah? Yeah, well, it's not the system reference document. It's the actual sort of prettier kind of player-friendly um, D&D basic rules set you can download. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that, but fair enough. So they have been updated. Mm. Uh, what do they now include? Uh, uh, it's got the most recent errata. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I think we mentioned the Arata last week, didn't we? Yes, uh, that's but right. they've also got they're also now in one single PDF. They were in two or three different PDFs before, and now they actually contain illustrations and art. Oh, nice! Not bad for a basic. So, uh, so, so it's generally a more user friendly, prettier, and more up to date experience for those people who just want to check out D and D without necessarily buying any books yet, mm-hmm. just giving it a little bit of a whirl. Right. Okay, so uh, they're, they're persisting in their uh, attempts to make everything as absolutely positively accessible as ever, which, you know, to be fair, is a strong way to go about it and will help them keep their market share. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also on the D&D front, um, you know those people who did that Art and Arcana or Arcana book? Uh, oh, is this, the big, is big book of... The, the, the coffee table size book of D&D artwork, that one. Yeah, yeah, that one. 
So um, they're called uh, Ten Speed Press, and okay. uh, two new books by then have just popped up on Amazon. Ooh. So these are aimed at kids, 8 to 12 years old. They're yep. hardcover books, uh, 112 pages each. Um, the uh-huh. first one is called uh, Monsters and Creatures, an adventurer's uh-huh. guide. Basically, a sort of kid's guide and introduction with illustrations and stuff of all the different monsters that you'll find in D&D. And the other book is called Warriors and Weapons. And this contains you know, all the weapons and adventuring tools and all that sort of stuff with diagrams and pictures and descriptions and all that sort of stuff. All the different stuff you might find oh, in a and d game. Interesting stuff. Uh, aimed at kids. Yeah. Aimed at the younger the younger audience. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's nice. Um, help people who might not necessarily know their um, mantlets from their tribuchets exactly what uh, those things are. Nice. nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's, it's a perfect sort of kid's gift for Christmas or something. No. Although I don't think they're, they're out until next year, so uh, you won't be getting them for this Christmas. Uh, maybe a nice birthday present for uh, the... Yeah, no, they've uh, popped up on Amazon for pre-order, I think, but yeah, they're not they're not out yet. Yeah. Nice present for the geeks in waiting in your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Sue, what else? What other news? Have you seen Fantasy Flight Games? The first world source book for Legend of the Five Rings, Emerald Empire. I have not. Go on, tell yeah. me what. Uh, yeah, it's listed as shipping now, so it should be in game store soon. Uh, Legend of the Five Rings being the samurai-style uh, fantasy role-playing game, which is very mm. interested and based on uh, social role-play as well as uh, your standard combat. Yeah, so what's what's this new source book? Well, it's a, it's apparently it's the essential setting source book, they're saying. And they're going to have a look. Is that the Emerald Empire one you're talking about? That that is the Emerald Empire one I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've got that up here actually. Yeah, looks pretty gorgeous actually. I, I'm looking at some of the art, and it's got some fantastic style. We've got some quite quite traditional, um, stylized, very Japanese-looking art, but obviously probably mm. not from actual Japan. And then we've got some lovely overhead shots, which have a real sort of almost watercolour quality to them. Um, mm. And then it varies all the way through. We've got, yeah, there's, 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 a, lot, there's a lot of interesting looking artwork, which has a regular listeners show will know we are complete suckers for. But they're also really digging down into like the nuts and bolts of managing an empire, like reasons why castles are built where they are, major architectural features, roots of villages, essential crops and resources. So it looks I've, like I've never got... actually played Legend of the Five Rings. Have you? Have you ever played it? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've played a couple of games. I've never actually managed to play any sort of lengthy campaign. Yeah. But I think it's really one of those games where you need to have played it for like several sessions to properly get into it. But yeah, um, right. I, I, I found it was quite quite interesting. So what would you say? Is it quite a crunchy game, or is it more sort of rules light? I wouldn't describe it as a rules light game, but I'd say it's like you know medium to average medium average crunch sort of thing yeah, um, yeah. quite 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 accessible without being overcomplicated and um, what yeah. about you Ed How, have you have you played Legend of the Five Rings I've not played Legend of the Five Rings but I agree with your assessment of the rules because you know being a de- game designer I, I often go ahead and read the rule books even of games that I think I'll probably never actually get around to playing um, yeah I, mm. I mean I'd agree it's it's sort of roughly medium medium levels of crunch uh, and again, it's a very strong theme, which is supported yeah. by mechanics, which is you know hallmark of a quality game in many respects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what What else you got uh, there, up there so, Russ? Uh, let's have a look. We've got some more news here. Um, some Shadowrun news here. Yeah, some Shadowrun news. Ooh. Um, so uh, we've yes. got a book called Better Than Bad, 
and uh, it's about playing good characters in a sort of um, cyberpunk fantasy dystopia of, oh, yeah. uh, of Shadowrun. Um, nice, with rules nice. for hooding, which is basically as in, you know, like Robin Hood, <laughs> stealing from the rich to give to the poor and nice, fighting nice. against the power structures that oppress the masses. Strong choice. So uh, this is a Shadowrun button. It's also compatible with Shadowrun Anarchy, which apparently is their rules light narrative system, although I, uh, I'm not familiar with that one myself. Yeah, no, um, I haven't seen Shadowrun Anarchy. Uh, what has been quite popular is the Sprawl, which is the Powered yeah. by the Apocalypse version. Uh, and that seems to be hitting tables quite frequently. Um, as opposed to mm. yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen anyone actually wanting to run Shadowrun, to be fair. Which is a shame, as it's like one of those absolutely fantastic settings, which really draws people in. Mm. Um, so I've got another bit of news here. Steve uh-huh. Jackson Games. It's good. It's not all D&D this week. Oh, yeah, I like that. Makes a change, uh, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, so Steve Jackson... Uh, I can't even say it now. Steve Jackson Games. <laughs> yeah. I reckon. Try, try say that three times really fast. Steve Jackson Games, Steve Jackson Games, Steve Jackson... Steve- oh, I can't. <laughs> it's harder That's than awful. you think. <laughs> uh, where are we? Anyway, so um, back in the 80s, of course, Steve yes. Jackson Games produced a whole bunch of things like Car Wars and Ogre and Necromancer, a load of sort of like uh, uh, pocket box games. Oh, yeah, like uh, Illuminati, which is... Illuminati pers- was one, yeah, as well, pers- yeah. Personal favourite of mine. That's a very silly game and yeah. immense fun. Uh, and Ogre, they did, I think it was about two, three years ago now, they did a Kickstarter for that. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah have... they did a big, big one for that, yeah. 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 Giant um, giant tank versus smaller tanks is my understanding of the situation with that one. But, but uh, what, 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 what they're doing here is um, they're doing some retro versions of these games. So we're talking oh, yeah, Car Wars, Illuminati, Ogre and Necromancer. Mm-hmm. And um, they're going to be near exact reprints of the originals. Okay. Even to the extent that you actually have to cut out the counters. So it's not, oh. you know, we're not talking great big flashy modern box sets like I think the Ogre um, Kickstarter was. We're, to- we're talking proper retro, right, nostalgia right. fueled. you know, this is the game I remember. I actually have. Have I got it up there? Hang on a second. Oh, uh, you've got, I, I'm guessing, Russ's absence means he's um, looking for a copy of the game. I assume so. Oh, Car Wars. This is my old copy. Oh, that's your old copy of Car Wars. Yeah. Do you have a new copy as well? No, I mean, old copy as in I've had this for a while, is what I meant. Uh, oh, okay, so, yeah, I, I used to play this game at school. Loved it, loved it to bits. Because you get this little packet full of little cardboard counters and stuff. Oh, yeah. You get the, all the maps. Oh. So I'm assuming that this is basically a pretty much a, a reprint of this exact um, this exact box set, I'm guessing. Okay, uh, so like a straight-up grab for the nostalgia market. Well, yeah, I'm quite a sucker for that stuff as well. So, uh, anything else in the news? That's what you uh, mentioned something to me over on uh, on the old Facebook just before we started, Peter. Oh yes, yes. Um, well, it's something that I saw, and Ed, ja- Ed was also talking to me about. Mm. Um, uh, Ed about uh, well, I, I don't. I don't I, the thing is, we don't have like any. This is a news podcast, so I was a bit. I, I did actually want to chat with you with you a bit about it um ed can we can we can we talk about this with no names no pack drill there's a certain um yeah late lady of color game designer and um some of her some of her books have been reported destroyed yeah it sounds like uh the cover was deemed offensive by the warehouse oh really and they went ahead and actually destroyed the books now as as peter quite rightly says we don't have sort of ironclad definite there 
Um, I happen to be a, a friend on Facebook of this individual, and and she did she did post about it. Mm-mm. And uh, yeah, no, I just thought it was interesting around the question of yeah, again, not going into specifics, but around the question of censorship. You know, a warehouse decided that this this book had an offensive cover, mm-hmm. um, and destroyed all of the books. Do we know who the warehouse is? Uh, no, actually, it was asked on the same Facebook thread, and I'm waiting for an answer. I'm I'm watching the Facebook thread myself, uh, waiting right. for an answer on that, but it's not come up yet. So, I mean, yeah. presumably, by warehouse, what we're talking is a distributor here. I That's assume so. The parents, yes. Yeah, we, we, we've yeah. honestly got. So I'm this, so I'm just wondering, apart from the sort of ethical side of that, I'm just wondering, mm. just from the sort of practical and logistic side of it. Who mm. owns the books at that point when they do that? That's a very good question. Mm. Um, that is a very good question. Uh, I, I mean, if they, I if, they, if they paid for the books with the intention then, of then distributing destroying them, them, basically becomes... they're destroying their own property. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, no, and I, I think this is an interesting question when you reach this point, because if a distributor were to decide to destroy your books after they paid for them... Mm. Um, That's their money they're throwing it's, away. Exactly. It's, it's really yeah. kind of up to them in a sense, but... You know, then you it, then you come to the question rude. of well, yeah, uh, it's very yeah. rude. And you come yeah. to the question of censorship and whether it's you know, obviously it's up to the distributor. They're a commercial operation, and mm-hmm. there's more to commercial operations these days than just uh, oh, this book might sell or might not sell. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's some mm. questions around morality and stuff, which companies are fortunately being increasingly asked to observe. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting situation, and I'm certainly keeping an eye on it for the near future, because obviously this affects potentially any game creator. You know, there's no reason why, in theory, most things couldn't be found offensive by someone. Mm. Well, absolutely. I think part of the thing which has made it... Uh, I, I could I could be incorrect in this, but quite a lot of the problem was that it was about menstruation. That's mm. correct, yeah. It's interesting how... A distributor can be in possession of these books without knowing what they are in advance. That is also interesting, isn't it? But um, it is yeah. a supplement to an existing game. Again, leaving names out of it. Um, it is a supplement a to an existing game. They just sort game, of like put an order so in automatically without without checking it out. It's yeah. possible. And also, this particular publisher, you know, she she's fairly well known. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done supplements for other things before, so mm-hmm. it, it's possible that happened. Yeah. Actually, she wrote quite a heartfelt message on on Facebook which actually was uh picked up on the article which which Peter saw and it was mm-hmm. it was really about for her it was really about feeling uh sorry I want to get the phrasing right uh, I believe she said it was about um feeling more empowered about something that leaves her a bit less than empowered right. uh, mm-hmm. normally you know this was why her decision was what it was Personally, my opinion is that no matter what the theme is, you know, buy it or not, my understanding is that the issue was actually around the content of the cover rather than the content of the book. Uh, right, okay. Which yeah. is which is a second interesting point. Yeah. It, there's, there's all sorts of questions raised, and unfortunately we just do not really have enough answers. Uh, we know some things occurred, but the exact details are a problem. If it's still the property of a publisher, because this was, say, a clearinghouse sending it out, then obviously there's going to be a lawsuit involved. If it's a distributor that's bought these books for later resale and they chose to destroy them, that's that's unfortunate. But it's uh, as you say, it's rude, but it's their problem. Uh, I, yeah, I, well, it sounds, it sounds yeah. like something to follow up on in a week or two once, yeah. once we've got a bit more information. To be honest, uh, 
Yeah, because I think this is like very fresh news. This was something that only went up today. Like, yesterday. Today? No, today I think. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think I saw about it last night, but yeah, it's like still okay. very early days. Mm. So yeah, that, well, because I was reading about it last night, so that's that's how I knew what you were okay. talking about, Ed. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's um, it's a it's a hell of a thing, really. Or maybe it's today in America, or I don't <laughs> know, where where are they based? Do you know? Oh, well, so uh, too much. Well, too I, much I, I know where the person is based, but I don't know where the warehouse is. So exactly. So yeah, but yeah, uh, t- certainly would like to find out more about what's going on with all this. With a bit of luck, we'll be able to find out and update. And hopefully, there's been uh, some sort of dreadful misunderstanding rather than someone actually going out and destroying someone's books on the basis of the cover okay. alone. So we have some better news. Let's have some better news, yes. Because that was a bit of a downer, that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Let's, yeah. Have, let's, uh, have, some, let's have some better news. Do you like free stuff? What's your general opinion on free stuff? For or uh, against free stuff? Generally for free stuff. It depends, it depends <laughs> what the catch is. <laughs> <laughs> There's no catch. Starter Traveller, as in the classic 1980s, Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the starter uh, set is currently free at Drive Through RPG. I'm all over that. So nice. this, this book, this this product, like periodically, is is normally you normally have to pay for it over on Drive Through RPG, and periodically it appears for free for about a month or so, and then goes back to being paid for again. So you kind of have to jump in there now, grab it for free, or wait until next time. I don't know how long it'll be free for, but this is basically the introductory version of the original dying character generation version of Traveller. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, proper 1970s style tech. It's the only way to play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so you, uh, it's three PDFs. You get a core rule book, a set of charts, and a book of adventures. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'll put the uh, link in the show notes. But if you, if you ever wanted to just try, just you know, if you'd ever played Traveller before and you wanted to have a quick look at it, try it out, and just see what it's all about. Now is the perfect time to do it, while it's free. Well, that does seem strong. Um, I'm actually just popped over to drive for RPG just now, because yeah. that, I'd say, would be very relevant to my interests. <laughs> 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 I've only played the uh, D20 version. And I haven't played that version of it. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Uh, I'd be interested to see what other people do with it. I think we spent about a session in character creation, Maybe two, three sessions, like pondering around, basically uh, having some a spreadsheet on someone's laptop uh, mm-hmm. in order to work out the best way to make money on our various trades, and then uh, we got into a fight very briefly, and my mm-hmm. uh, character lasted about a round before being destroyed by laser weapons. <laughs> uh, Actually, I was going to guess PGMP, but um, fair. PGMP. Uh, it stands for Plasma Gun Man Portable. Oh, Plasma Gun Man Portable, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think they just had lasers. It did not work well for me at all. <laughs> yeah, I played Traveller in the 80s, which would have presumably been the original Traveller. And uh, mm-hmm. about four or five years ago, I played the Mongoose version. Not the T20 version, but the, the one that Mongoose brought out a few years ago. Um, that's about it, I think. I think in total, I've played Traveller for sort of less than... Sort of like a dozen sessions in total. Mm-hmm. Didn't get on very well with the Mongoose version. Can't really remember what it was like in the 80s. That was so long ago. The 80s uh, was definitely a while back for us, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a while back for everybody. Yeah, nearly 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. Late 80s. Yeah, sorry. 
Uh, hate Madonna. Not, I, <laughs> I wasn't. I, I wasn't. I wasn't actually old enough to play role playing games in 1980. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't think so. But how old I do you think like I am? Ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, okay, I, I think that is probably it for the news. Let's just say, Russ, I was surprised you were playing with bits of cardboard rather than um, slate and chalk. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, not the face. <laughs> Shall we play our favourite game in all the world? Our favourite game in all the world. Absolutely. Our favourite game in all the world. Oh, Ed can play as uh, well. Ed, are you familiar with our favourite game in all the world? Is it the favourite game in all the world that I commented on when you first told me about the podcast, Peter? That's the one. Yeah, I love that game. Let's do it. All right, then. It yeah. is, in fact, our favourite game in all the world where I tell you the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what that Kickstarter is from just the name. Um, there's two of you, so how about you do two each? Sound good? Yeah, sure. sounds amazing. Let's do it. All right, let's start with you, Peter. Uh, so yeah. the first one. What is what is never tell me the odds? Well, if it's not a hand solo based role playing game, I will be deeply disappointed. Um, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so never tell me the odds. Immediately that says to me something either Star Wars, probably not actual Star Wars, but Star Wars adjacent, uh, a game of rogue rogues like Blazing through space lines um, and getting it to shenanigans and hijinks. Hmm. Not bad, not bad at all. I'm going to give you 8 out of 10 for that. No, Woo-hoo. 9 out of 10. That is so close. Oh. 9 out of 10. Um, so you are correct. It is a fast-playing sci-fi adventure game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their example is, think of Han Solo relying on a hyperdrive that keeps shorting out. So, spot on there. Um, what's interesting is that um, when you create your character... You don't assign any numbers to it. You don't have traits or abilities or anything like that. Basically, when you're willing to risk something and you come against a check, the odds are always 50-50. So you can play it with a coin or just a dice or whatever, (laughs) but it's always 50-50. Because never tell me the odds. That's brilliant. Yeah, It's got a pun in the title. It's like a super, super simple mechanic there. Kind of reminds me a bit of um, Dread with Jenga. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, I was yeah, reading that. You know, whenever, whenever you do something that might be in doubt, you pull out a Jenga block. So this is just you flip a coin. Always 50-50, <laughs> see if you succeed or not. I do quite like the idea of that one. That, that does sound like a okay. certain amount of uh, shenanigans will ensue. <laughs> yes, I think that's, that's going to be a back for me. I'm going to back that one. Yeah. Right, yeah. and that, that is by David Somerville. Oh, yeah, as well. Um, sounds like that will be a big hit. So, and what, and what sort of, and when does that Kickstarter end? That ends on Tuesday, December the eleventh. Fantastic! So, um, which is about what, a week next week, the week after. Yeah, next week. Yeah, that's in a week. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. So, get get in and uh, fill your boots. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, right uh, now, one for Ed. All right, one for Ed. How about this yeah. one? How about after the war? Oh goodness. Oh, goodness. That's hard, you see, because... Uh, but to, hard, me, yeah. to me, that says post-apocalypse, sort mm-hmm. of Fallout-esque feel, with kind of, like, survival... You know, survival stuff uh, on on the back of that. You know, um, ruined, ruined landscapes, etc. Okay. Not far off. I'll give you a good 7 out of 10 for that. Um, the, the, the bit that you uh, didn't get there was it's uh, basically science fiction sort of after a galactic war. So it's sort of ah, like, yeah. uh, you know, the future of Star Wars sort of thing. So you've got millions of survivors yeah. and they're trying to rebuild a frontier world. 
called Polvo. Right, right. So, so more, more so Don Scalzi yeah. than otherwise, yeah. Okay. Ah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's 240 pages. It's a digest size wall book. 240 pages. I actually, I really like mm-hmm. digest size books, actually. I'm really, I'm really mm-hmm. fond of those. Um, yeah. I, I never thought I would, but Savage World's uh, Explorer Edition sort of turned me around on that, I'll be honest. Uh, yeah. For those of us who actually don't know, what what size is a digest mm. book? I, I mean, it's it's smaller than A5, right? Pa- paperback sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, all right, okay, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's slightly larger than your average paperback. Yeah, it's yeah. half an A4. Oh, oh A5. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah it's, not, it's a nice size. It's it's like not you don't maybe get like the same size pictures and so forth, but it is very portable. And, yeah. Uh, yeah um, <laughs> I mean, Irabalam is is one of those. Mm. Oh. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I I I I picked that up, and that was a. Uh, I haven't managed to get it to the table yet, but uh, it's only a matter yeah. of time. I think I, I think they're coming because obviously, sort of um, a lot of the Fate stuff is digest sized. I think yeah, Pathfinder, yes. Pezo have released a lot of those books in digest sized pocket editions, haven't they? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you can you can get quite a lot of the sort of main core rule books for for Pathfinder in digest sized books now. I even remember D and D Fourth Edition came out with a digest sized version. It was called D and D Essentials or something like that. Oh, Do you remember okay. that? Okay. You know what? I I've only ever saw the the players' handbooks uh, for right, yeah. Fourth Ed. Yeah, the proper full sized ones. Yeah, that's right. I, I never actually saw anything digest sized, but I'm I'm definitely prepared to believe it could uh, could have happened. It's it's like I say, it's, it's a nice it's a nice size for carrying and um, hmm. good, good 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 referencing material as well. Yeah. It's the exact opposite of the giant book of battle maps, which will fit in no bag whatsoever. <laughs> no bag yeah. may contain it. When I rule the world, all yes. RPG books will have to be either digest sized or yes. they'll have to be the size of the giant book of battle maps. <laughs> One of those two things. Why would you do Nothing this else will monster? be allowed. You can have a you can have a giant game or a tiny game and nothing in between. I am against you ruling the world purely on that basis. Yeah, I, 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 it's not one of your universally popular policies, Russ. I'll be honest, mate. <laughs> uh, shall, we, shall, shall we move on? I think we should, sir. I think we before should. I start telling you about all my other policies. Yeah, go, on, go, on, go on. I'll tell you one of my other policies in in the world. Once I, when you have a shop, right? Whatever mm. the name is of your shop you have to sell that inside. So Apple has to sell apples. I thought of this when I was walking through Southampton and I saw peacocks, and I realised that you couldn't buy peacocks in peacocks. Well, no, but it's a fashion store, so... Yeah, but even so, even so, I think any shop should be named yes. after what it actually sells. So um, if, it's, I, if it's called I, I peacocks, again, it has to sell peacocks. I would again like to object to this policy on the basis that my store is called Shades of Vengeance, and I don't really want—I don't really want to have to sell Shades of Vengeance at my store because, yeah, it would be quite tricky, really. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, dangerous actually is the word I would use. Ah, uh, live a little red, live a little. Unless, unless Shades of Vengeance was a paint cover. That's certainly an idea, and we'll take that uh, on board. I, I, try, I, I try to think of what... have no answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I just try, I'm just trying to think of what colour vengeance would be. I'm thinking kind of a grey. I'm hoping for red. A grey red. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, oh, that sounds unpleasant. Um, mm. Tell you what, Russ. Whilst you're mm. thinking about it, why don't you give me another Kickstarter, and I can speculate what the answer could be. Yeah. Let's stop. <laughs> let's, let's stop talking about my my rules for my new world order, and let's move on. To... <laughs> Let's move on to your next Kickstarter, which is... Yes. 
What is the word of Stromgard? And word is spelled W-Y-R-D. Oh, the word of Stromgard. Oh, okay. Is Um, Is that how you pronounce that? Okay. Yeah. I believe you. I I would say weird, but that's just me. Um, And I would think that would be the magic of Stromgard. So it would be doing sort of the... It sounds like a setting book about Stromgard. And it would have like the stories, legends, and some of the magic uh, surrounding it. So, I'm guessing maybe for Pathfinder or Fifth Dead, some sort of setting book for that. Uh, uh, strong guard being strong guard being a place, a castle, large, keep esque. I'll give you fourteen points out of twenty three for that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, halfway uh, just there. So, just so weird, there, there is a spreadsheet. I've been happily informed. Which does actually mean that all Russ's values are entirely non-arbitrary and very fairly done. I mm, believe absolutely. entirely that this is the case. The scoring system is highly accurate and highly scientific. And I hope that at some point in the future, my belief will be rewarded in your new world order. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm the only Ed- publisher allowed to produce A4 books. <laughs> Ed Foron welcomes his new Russ-like overlord, uh, Marvelous. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the word or weird of Stromagard is, as you say, um, a setting book uh, for sort yep. of Norse fantasy and Viking campaigns. It's for Dungeon World. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay. it comes with ten character playbooks, seven compendium classes, monsters, and you know an entire setting, a ready-made adventure, all that sort of Ooh. usual sort of setting book stuff. Yeah, yeah. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it does sound pretty good. Sounds yeah. all right. That does. Um, so, yep. one left. Well, let's go with the final one is, and this one will be for Ed. Ah. Let's go with... Hmm. This is one of those ones that has a word, then a colon. The thing after the colon kind of explains is kind of a spoiler in the context of this game. So this one is called Become, colon, The Game of Something. That's interesting. Hmm. Become The Game of... I think that this is something to do with... I would go with cyberpunky. I'm thinking, like, uh, raising... Like, like uh, transhumanism kind of thing. Like, like humans not being in their bodies anymore. Kind of, uh, sort of up above the... There! Words! Um, <laughs> go ahead, you can speak. I believe in you. <laughs> Um, I, I reckon this is to do with uh, transhumanism. Um, I reckon it is to do with, you know, sort of uh, becoming more than flesh and blood creatures. That That is what I would write with the title Become the Game Of. Ooh. Something. Not, not bad, not bad, not bad. I'll give you uh, uh, 74 points out of 102 for that. Oh, well done. Oh, that means I win. That's, Great, not, that's not including the 7%. Oh. Oh, oh even better. So that's yeah. basically... What seventy nine points? Wow! Good times, man. Good I think, times. He's, well I think he's totally, totally won this week, Peter. Um, so he this has. is um, it's, it's not quite transhuman. It's more AIs. So it's called Become the Game oh. of AI Investigation. But other yeah. than that, you're pretty much spot on there. It's um, the players take on role of artificial intelligences, searching out for hidden truths in their simulated city. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I definitely don't have a game in the works that sort of sounds vaguely similar to that. Definitely not. Nope. No? <laughs> no. Nope. Ask anyone. I don't. Definitely not. <laughs> Fren- frantic typing occurs. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> 
This one, um, I'm just looking at it. The artwork is lovely. I'm only looking at one piece of artwork at the moment, but it's got some kind of ground vehicle car type thing, like going along a sort of high-tech, shiny future road with some kind of Skynet-esque plane-based robot, flying robot thing, chasing it and shooting lasers at it. It looks absolutely fantastic. I have to have a look at this now. Hmm. That sounds very Transformers. When's that uh, Kickstarter finish? uh, That ends on Sunday, December the 9th. So if this... End of this week. Yeah, if this podcast goes Ooh, out yeah. on Wednesday, that'll be in, what, three or four days' time. Best getting quick. And who's uh, who's brought out this uh, exciting new artificial intelligence game? Dylan Grinder. Dylan Grinder. Well, yeah. okay. Um, so the Kickstarter hasn't actually funded yet. It's got a $4,500 goal. It needs about another 1000 It's done $3,408 so far with six days to go. Uh-huh. So it's going to be a close one, I think. Given the usual sort of uptick towards the end of a Kickstarter, it'll probably do it. But it's going to be fairly close, it looks like. Having run uh, a number of Kickstarters that is over 40, I I I can tell you that the last 48 hours is utterly transformative. And I would say, in my general experience, they'll make it. I think it will, yeah. But I've, I've, um, I've had a couple where the uptick was really, really small. And I've had a couple where the uptick was quite noticeable. So it isn't, isn't a 100% rule. Mm. There's a lot but, of but, but generally speaking, yeah. Minute. I mean, I, yeah, generally speaking, you, you can get a massive, massive... Because that's that 48-hour email that Kickstarter itself sends out. Really, yeah. really helps. Plus, there's a whole it psychology does. thing going on with people who wait and then get in at the last minute. Mm, 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 mm. Try and snipe those bargains at the last second. Hmm, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that's it for our favourite game in all the world. I think we can definitely declare Ed to be the winner by about 60-odd points. Bravo. Bravo, bravo. (laughs) (laughs) See, I I still assumed it was a fraction, you see, and I still won, even if it was just a fraction. So, (laughs) Ed's prize is that he is allowed to continue producing books in A4 format. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. In the forthcoming New World Order. (laughs) In the forthcoming New World Order, yes. (laughs) But I still have to sell Shades of Vengeance in my store. Yes, yes. Unfortunately, well. yes. <laughs> Last week, as you may recall, uh, we held a little competition where we asked our listeners to send in a sketch for us to perform. And we said that if you sent in a sketch, we would, assuming we liked it, perform it on the podcast for you. So this week... We are going to be performing a sketch by Tyler McConnell, who has written into the podcast before. Um, he accompanies it with a, with a quick email. Hi, Morris. Hi, Peter. Here's my sketch. Let me know what you think. I'm also prepping a review of the monster cars you mentioned in yesterday's episode. That'll be last week's, presumably. Uh, spoiler alert. I love them. Anyway, hope you enjoy it. <laughs> uh, Tyler, thank you so much for writing this. Uh, I, I hope it's as much fun to listen to as it is to read. Thank you for calling the Adventurous Hotline. How may I help you today? Yes, I'm worried we may have stepped into a very strange alternate dimension. Uh, what do you mean? Have you encountered a portal or perhaps an Archmage cast punishment on you? No, no, no. We're still in town. But it's weird. Everybody was very nice and normal for a while. Yargan, Born Anvil, the Dwarven Blacksmith... McGrundon, Akumber Reliax, the Dragonborn Mayor, Decarabia, the shifty-eyed tiefling at the bar. But the more we talked to people, the odder they became. The odder they became? Uh, perhaps demonic possession? Oh, nothing so malicious, just people with strange names and traits, like 
Steve with long hair and Jack who keeps juggling things and Patricia who has an absurd amount of pockets. Hmm. Have you met anyone named Kyle? Perhaps a Susan? Yes, both. Kyle is well known for his soup recipe and Susan sings everything she says. Ah, I see. You've stayed in town too long and your DM hasn't prepped enough NPCs. The poor soul is trying their best to improvise some interesting individuals. Talk to McGrindon or Decarabia. They likely have a mission for you and once you leave town, everything will seem much better prepared. I mean, normal in no time. Ah, oh, thanks so much. We've been here for a month. I could certainly use an excuse to stretch my legs. <laughs> yes, yes. Moving the plot along can be wonderful exercise. Thank you for calling the Adventurous Helpline. Don't forget to complete the survey after the call. Uh, so thank you so much to Tyler McConnell for sending in that uh, sketch. If you have a sketch or you want to write us a sketch, please do send it in and uh, we will try and perform it for you on our podcast as best we can. We make no promises about the quality of our performances. Yeah, exactly. We'll certainly exactly. give it our best. But we will do our best. In the meantime, um, please head on over to our Patreon and support this podcast because uh, we can't do it without your generous support. You only have to give us a dollar a month or something and that will help keep us going. Uh, and also that does mean you get access to our bonus deleted content every week, which usually contains up to half an hour of extra material. And certainly if you'd like to be part of the Wizards of Pod and... See Russ's uh, new world order taking proper shape in the world, then your contribution really does matter. Absolutely. You can find that over at patreon.com forward slash Morris. And if you want to enter the competition and send us in a sketch, you can do that by sending us an email to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Shall we, shall, shall, we, shall we move on and shall we, shall we talk about Ed a bit now, shall we? Oh, must we? My favourite subject. Well, we don't have to, but I mean... <laughs> well, he's just been banging on the whole podcast. It's like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no I'm, I'm sorry, Ed, don't mind me. Uh, no, um, uh, I was mentioning that you are a very hard-working games designer and you have a lot of games out there. I mean, there's... You know what? I honestly don't know where to start describing your product line. Um, it all falls under the error, and is that your rule system? Uh, the rule system is called Era D10. Era D10. Mm. They don't all fall under Era. That's that's where things get a little bit complicated. Okay. So you know, I initially started by creating one game. Yes. And Era is actually the name of the universe because all of these games live in a shared universe. Okay. Exactly how they link up is a little more complicated, but Era D10 also happens to be the name of the rule set. Fair enough. Then. So I started with with one game initially, and uh, that was Era the Consortium, which interestingly mm. enough actually is approaching its fifth anniversary in February. Nice. So I've, I've got some awesome stuff planned for that, and I'll talk about it later. I then started working with a couple of other creators. Era the Consortium was a very transformative experience for me creatively. It was extremely difficult to actually get the game produced. I was let down by a lot of people. Um, I lost quite a lot of money. Wow, okay. Ooh, yeah. That's unfortunate. Just during the development of it. And uh, I decided that instead of allowing other games, which, you know, there are great games out there. I mean, we've talked about several just, just today. Instead of allowing other small indie creators to have the same kinds of problems as I did, uh -huh. I would offer to lend a hand with developing their game, finding them artists who I know are reliable, mm. finding them writers or editors or doing editing myself or whatever it was they needed, uh -huh. um, helping them achieve that. 
Oh, okay. Very public spirited of you. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I thought so. I think, I think uh, yeah, unreliable freelancers can be a real, real problem. I think, um, I, I, I definitely think that freelancers get screwed over by people as well. Mm-hmm. But I think but, that particularly in tabletop gaming, where sort of the images are about 80% of your total budget when you're a creator, unreliable freelancers are, are disastrous. Sure. Very, very nearly killed my project two or three times. So I worked with a few people. They had their own games. They had their own rule sets, and we worked together to create the the games in the form that they wanted. So I worked with a with a gentleman who was very big fan of nineteen uh, fifties sci fi. Right. And we created a game called Amazing Space Adventures, which was all mm. about. Well, he created it, and I helped to develop it. I suppose would be a more we're accurate way like, of saying it. We're talking like Flash Gordon-y type stuff here. Yeah. yeah, Venus is covered in jungles, and and you know Mars has ruins of an ancient civilization. You know, kind of yeah. all the way the fifty sci-fi oh. writers thought the solar system was. Yeah. So, yeah. so sort of like an Edge of Iceberg sort of take on it. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And, and with Asimov-esque robots and and so on. Positronic veins, all that sort. Positronic all of it. brains, all that sort. The whole yeah, lot. nice, nice. Okay, yeah. So, um, we did we did all that, and and we produced Amazing Space Adventures, and uh, then I worked with another gentleman who uh, had been working on a game called Order of the Link for thirty years, and had never wow. figured out how to publish it. Right. He'd been giving it away for free, mm-hmm. um, and he and I worked on it, and and sort of I showed him the way to do it, and since that project, which was very very successful, um, it brought in over three thousand dollars on Kickstarter. Uh, he's actually gone ahead and produced a, a full sort of uh, an extended rulebook mm-hmm. since that time. And then I worked with a third a third individual. Uh, he wanted to create a fate game, uh, which mm. was about sort of assassins uh, called Marked for Death. Yeah. Mm. And mm. I uh, I worked with him on that. And uh, yeah, that was that was kind of the going on alongside me making my own stuff. So obviously, mm. Era the Consortium was was where it all started. Uh, I moved on yep. to Era Liars, which yep. is a game that's achieved wildly different reactions depending on who you talk to. Uh, people okay. either love it or hate it. It's very much a Marmite. Um, the idea is of Era Liars, you see, that you aren't an adventurer because adventuring is dangerous and you don't want to lose your limbs. Mm. Same strong. Okay. So instead, you tell your story to a tavern full of people who will shower you with golden glory if you are successful. It's sort of like a Team oh. Munchausen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or Team Braggart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, where you work together <laughs> as the players to tell the story to the GM. Mm. And I ran a fantastically successful session. Uh, well, actually, it was a campaign, but all within a four-hour thing at Contingency last year. Mm. Uh, this this year, it's still this year. In yeah, January. So it was it like like in, ja- in January earlier this year. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Actually, little surprise coming up. You guys are the first to hear it. Uh, Ooh, here's your yeah. news from from the era eraverse. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Era Liars is going to have a definitive edition, which comes out in January on Kickstarter. Wow. Um, and it's going to be a limited print run of 100 copies. Only 100? Only oh. 100. That's it. I'm only doing 100 of these definitive edition rulebooks. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you'll be able to get hold of still, of course, the standard rulebook that already exists. Yeah. But um, I oh. thought a special limited edition print run uh, for those people who are still around after. It's actually four years since I, since I first put that one out. Yeah, was a was a nice thing to do. So, what what does the limited edition book look like? What what makes it stand out uh, from the original? So, what it's got, it's got some extra world building content. Yeah. So the the book itself is kind of hilarious, as you can imagine. Given that the world is built on 
people not knowing what's actually beyond the bounds of the city. Right. Stories such as that of Cyclopses, uh, or Cyclopes, I should say, really. They aren't brutal or evil creatures, they're just very, very private. So the reason mm. that they swallow both humans and cows is because they don't want anyone to know that they exist. Right. Uh, and, you know, those who know they exist, they want the minimum told possible. Mm. Mm -hmm. So they swallow humans and, and take them back to their, their secret uh, secret place and and then kind of regurgitate them and, and allow them to live out their lives as much as is possible after that traumatic event. Mm. The reason they swallow cows is um, they don't realise that humans don't speak cow and okay. they know how talkative cows are. Right, okay. The, the bestiary is packed with, with things like this, uh, little little tidbits about the world. We've also got uh, a whole thing about, you know, the various cities in the world. Again, written by a man who's never left the central city, Yarnolf. Um, <laughs> but it's from all the stories and the ones that he deems accurate. Right. right yeah. uh, because he's the, he's the leading professor of kind of the, the, the creatures in this world. And he's right. like, oh yes, you know, this is a valid story. Oh, and this one, this contradicts, so I don't believe this. You know this this yeah, guy yeah. this guy's making things up. Yeah, yeah. So you know you you get to you get to put in some hilarious little uh, little bits and pieces in there. So this one's going to have some extended bestiary entries. It's mm. going to have the entire traveler's guide to Yarnolf in it. Mm. It's going to have modifications to the rules because there's an alternate method of character creation which actually has proven really really effective since the game Ooh. originally launched. Mm -hmm. And I want to include that in the book, so you have both as an option. Yeah, makes sense. It's going to include some more equipment. It's going, you know, it's it's sort of like I'm just fleshing out some stuff because it's a fairly yeah. light setting. You know, it's it's medieval, and you can make up what you like, and that's kind of the essence of the game, as I'm sure you can imagine. So Ooh. there's a limit to what I want to prescribe. Yes, yeah. But um, I think that giving people ideas with the book is is still a very very sort of strong and powerful thing to do. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Because you've you've used your um, era D10 system to do quite a lot of different options: um, Balan, Chosen, Silence, yeah, yeah. Uh, Empowered, Empowered. Yes, that's the uh, superhero, one, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Uh, Consortium, yeah. of course. Yes. See the the rule set runs on a sort of a consistent basis. You know, it's a dice yeah. pool system D10s. Um, it runs on an attribute and skill basis. But what I do is I add modular rules for each game mm -hmm. that bring the flavour. Uh, you were talking earlier about, I think it was Legend of the Five Rings, I want to say. Yes, that's right. Uh, about how, you know, the rules supporting the setting is really, really important to a good game. I 100% agree. Uh, very, very important. And um, mm. I bring rules into each one of the games that are unique to that setting that can then be removed or, or kept for the next game. In fact, I even went a little bit, little bit crazy once, and I actually created an expansion for Era the Consortium that was combining many of the rules from Era Survival, our survival horror game, to make a sort of a Dead Space or Aliens-themed right, yeah. module. Okay. Because the thing is that all of these different games can actually have the rules put into each other. Yeah. And it, st yeah. it still balances when you do. Right, yeah. so they're all completely 100% compatible with each other then. Pre pretty well, yeah. There, there are a few differences. For example, uh, weapons in Era Survival are slightly less basic lethal than they are in Era the Consortium, yeah. because in Era the Consortium you're more likely to have armour. Right, 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 yeah. So th there are tweaks for individual games, but yeah, if you were to bring Era Survival rules into Era the Consortium, you can do that. 
And if you were to bring Era of the Consortium rules into Era Survival, you would have a different experience. Hmm. Could you sort of, just, just for like the listeners, could you just sort of sum up maybe two or three of the different Era sort of settings that you've, or games that you've done, just to... Yeah, maybe three different ones, just so people can get an idea of what, what it is we're talking about here. Sure, yeah. absolutely. So, Era of the Consortium is a science fiction role-playing game mm-hmm. that is intended to give you the opportunity to play literally any subgenre of sci-fi. Okay. Mm. You can do colonisation, you can do exploration and space opera, you can do all-out war, uh, sort of Starship Troopers style, you can Ooh. do transhumanism and and cyberpunk stuff you can do high-tech dungeon crawls you can do star wars-esque you know the resistance fighting against the sort of evil government um and you can do all of these things by picking where in the 500 year history you want to play okay now the idea behind this was really that i love sci-fi and i have done all my life and whenever i want to play a sci-fi role-playing game i sort of i come up to the problem of okay well this campaign's going to be a space opera and then my next campaign's going to be, you know, uh, more of a political thing. Mm. And most yeah. rule sets handle one very well and not and the others not so well because they have a core sort of theme for the game. Yeah. Sure, yeah. And I find that that's sort of a shame um, because I don't really want to go out and buy another game just so I can do something. Really, I'm happy enough with the setting, mm. yeah. but I want to do a different style of game. Um, and the rule yeah. set just doesn't support it. I was really, really sad because I had this problem with Eclipse Face, which as a setting, mm. I just, I think it's phenomenal. Mm. I love it. And uh, and then, you know, I wanted to do certain other things that really just weren't supported very well by the Eclipse Face rules. No. So what I, you know, what I decided to do was, was to make my own game that would deliver all of these things. Mm. Um, mm. And that's really where Era of the Consortium came from. It's worked really, really well. Um, as I said... I've done expansions for it. You know, there are some extra bits and pieces that didn't quite fit in the rulebook. So there's stuff like Psionics. You know, that's one yeah. of the expansions. Or kind of a mm. James Bond in space thing. And each of these <laughs> will add some sort of additional rules or some rules tweaks for when a character is in that specific situation that can be mm. entirely discluded or can be included if you have a character in that situation. Sure. And they're all balanced to make it work. Um, so that's here with the Consortium. Certainly, certainly a broad design brief that you gave yourself there. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was actually very specific. It was make a sci-fi game that lets you play any subgenre. Yeah. So I very specifically had something in mind that I wanted to deliver. So it wasn't quite as bad as it might sound. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, you've got a Patreon as well supporting this line, I see. I do. Uh, there are a few things actually on Patreon. Uh, first of all, and I want to I mention this, and please, if you're listening, go and check it out. It's free. On our Patreon, you, mm. you just have to go in and, and look for the posts. It's called Encounters on the Edge of Space. Mm. And the reason I mention it, and the reason it's free, is when I look at online materials, mm. I see so many fantasy bestiaries, yes. and I see no sci-fi bestiaries. Yeah, I've noticed so, that too. I can absolutely yeah. empathise with that, that particular... <laughs> yeah. I mean, being a sci-fi fan, I think that's tragic. Um, I, I, yeah. I definitely wanted to do something about that. So what I did is I sat down with a PhD in microbiology, really, really nice guy, <laughs> mm. yeah. and we came up with a whole bunch, a huge number of um, sort of ideas of things you might encounter. Some of them are very obvious what they are, a little like the uh, uh, never tell me the odds thing. Uh, you know, we have mm. a guy called The Wanderer who has ridiculous amounts of technology and yeah. um, just sort of pops up in, in random places and in inverted commas fixes problems before disappearing again. <laughs> 
So yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, we we are still British and we are still sci-fi lovers. So you know that stuff is yeah. all there. Mm. Um, there's loads of sort of original Star Trek references as well. You know, bits and pieces all over yeah. the place. There's also some really, really sort of in-depth, well thought out microbiology stuff, um, diseases Ooh. and such. You know, they're they're the kinds of things that that you know, obviously, a microbiologist would come up with. Mm. And uh, all of these are free. We release one a month, every single month. Mm. I want to say that so far we're about 16 or 17 in. Sorry, mm. I, I write them... Uh, because we've got them all written, I kind of edit them a little in advance. Yeah. And as of this month, we're on number 17. So last month was 16. Uh, it comes out mm. at the end of the month. So okay. not a bad guess. Just, just coming back to what, something you just said a minute ago, when you were saying about um, all these fantasy mysteries and um, sci-fi mysteries, and uh, I've, mm. as I said, I've noticed that before, and I've sort of got my own sort of opinions on why that is. Just wondering why you, why you think that is. Why are there so many fantasy ones and so few sci-fi ones? I think that people who make bestiaries mm. tend to be more focused on the games with a larger market, mm. and frankly, that is the industry that we live in. Um, you know, D&D, Pathfinder, between them, control so much of the market that I think a lot of people want to make the make their their stuff so that it is compatible with that, so that more mm. people will read it. Sure. That's that's mm. my opinion. Yeah. All of this stuff, you know, all of this stuff fits very well in Era of the Consortium, of course, as you would expect. Um, but it's all setting neutral, really. It would fit in Star Trek, it would fit in Star Wars, it would fit in Warhammer 40k. Mm. You, you can use these things. They offer you details about the, the creature of the week. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. They offer you some information about the creature's motivation. And then they offer you some adventure seeds, some ideas, you know, that are really, really very general terms mm. that you can very easily pick up and, and run an adventure based sure. off. So, so I would strongly encourage anyone looking for that. It's totally free on our Patreon. Is there any plan to sort of long-term plan to compile them into a book, perhaps? There actually is. And it's going to happen next October. Excellent. But I'll be honest, when I do yeah. that, they'll probably be slightly more consortium-focused. Sure, okay. Because uh, I was planning to release them as, a, as an Era of the Consortium expansion. Mm -hmm. Because they'll all fit in Era of the Consortium. But equally, anyone with any, you know, any GM who's ever run a game is going to be able to pick them up and go, oh, yeah, yeah, well, I can just strip out that bit and I'm good. Yeah, and just convert well, them on the fly to the system of their choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Unless their system is Pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> Which case it might take a bit no, longer. If it's, if it's Starfinder, then it's fine, right? Yeah, true, true. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, that sounds that sounds pretty good. Uh, another thing I noticed is uh, you have a lot of comic strips associated with your games, and you've also been doing sort of a radio drama. Yeah, and it's like sort of this like creative sort of co-production Nexus sort of thing. Yeah, Nexus. Yes, it's a creative Nexus, is what it is. Mm -hmm. mm. One of the guys I work with, Jonathan Lewis, uh, he's been working with me since sort of pretty early on in the era of the Consortium project. Yeah. He also wrote uh, Revival with me, the uh, era survival meets era of the Consortium module that I mentioned, the Dead Space one. Uh, yes. He and I uh, sat down together and we started writing comics mm. because comics are his mm. thing. So, you know, what I do is I go, okay, well, let's tell this story. This is a thing that I wasn't able to do in the rulebook that I think is a really cool story. Let's let's do it. As our universe has grown, obviously the superhero universe came out. We also started writing comics in the superhero universe. The opportunities there are obvious and vast. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So with with the with this radio drama, mm. um, it's not just yourself. It's a, a whole a whole pile of people who are all really into Era the Consortium. That's right. I 
worked with uh, Leo and one other person to write the script. We bounced the we bounced script off a couple of our normal regular writers uh, just to make sure that it looked good to them. We then sort of proceeded to go ahead and record, and we had loads of volunteers. You know, it's it's a, it's become a full cast audio drama. Uh, it's not a it's not a huge huge cast, but you know, it's six people. Uh, you know who who are on it, and it it mainly centers around one character, which I was persuaded to uh, to play uh, against my better judgment, if I'm totally honest. Um, but I was persuaded, so so I agreed. And uh, and you know it's uh, it's really around the one character. Uh, we've not revealed who the character is yet, so I can't tell you. Right. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean it, it was fantastic fun. We've we've just wrapped up about ninety percent of the recording. We've got one more session to do. And then, and then we're done. We've recorded everything. Cool. Right. So, uh, what, what's the name of the radio drama? A Titan's Rise. Right. A Titan's Rise. And is anyone who knows be... of the consortium already uh, will know that there is. Is that going to be available as a podcast then, or? Uh, it's. We are not entirely decided how we're going to how we're going to release this one. It may be available as a podcast. It may be available mm. more as like an audio book. Yeah. We're sort of still researching and debating the options. Okay. But you've got it recorded, and it's just like how you distribute it. That's that's the question that you've got to ask yourselves. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And and in the meantime, while we're asking ourselves that question, making a decision, uh, we've got loads and loads of editing to do because we got you know mm. it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be sort of four, five, six hours long. Mm. So it's it's quite right. it's quite quite chunky, quite significant. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, yeah. Basically, like a, that's a, a decent-sized novella in audiobook terms. Absolutely. No, that sounds very exciting, Ed. Um, I am you, really looking so forward what to a, it. What else have you got on the horizon there, Ed? Anything yeah. you can tell us? Oh, yeah, no, a few things. Era of the Consortium, I mentioned, has its fifth anniversary in February. Okay. And we've got quite a few things sort of laid on for that. Mm. Um, first of all, we're going to be doing miniatures for the first time, which Ooh. is really exciting. Yes. Yeah. We've had those on display. Uh, we had them at Dragon Meet, and we had them also at uh, at MCM. Mm. We we are tremendously looking forward to that. We've worked with some incredibly talented people who've brought brought sort of characters from Era of the Consortium to life in a way that I never expected to be possible. To be honest. Yeah. Nice. Just just absolutely fantastic stuff. So we're going to be offering those miniatures uh, on the Kickstarter. Wow. We're also going to be offering some unique. Uh, fifth anniversary editions, which are going to have slightly different content to the definitive edition. Okay. Because mm-hmm. uh, the the four hundred and twenty page definitive edition rulebook already exists. Yes. Um, I did that a year or two back. There's also going to be obviously the audio dramas, which are celebrating the the fifth anniversary. There's a second audio drama as well, which is uh, it's called Radio Free Tyrannus, <laughs> and uh, that one. The... <laughs> so how how many kickstarters have you have you done now? You've done a few. Uh, give me a moment, and I will give you an exact number. Um, yeah, you said you said over forty. Earlier. It's over forty. Wow, yeah. that's, that, a that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's it's a few. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure I've ever met anyone who's done quite that many Kickstarters before. Uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's all good. Um, I mean, what, um, what, what what do you know off the top of your head? What your best funded one was? Yeah, I do. It was Era of the Consortium and Universe of Expansions. Mm. It was the first Expansions Kickstarter. It's also one that produced the definitive edition rulebook that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Yeah, that one That one was my best funded Kickstarter. How well did that one do? So, uh, that that was just shy, including the PayPal, uh, that was mm. yeah. just shy of $10,000. Nice. Very nice indeed. Yeah, Good so... 
So I've done twenty six on my on my kind of Shades of Vengeance account. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've done. Sorry, I'm now looking on the comics because uh, that's a separate Kickstarter account. I've done ten there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think I might have. Oh no, I haven't. No, I have done forty one Kickstarters then. Wow. Because uh, I've done a few bits and pieces okay. that were on other other people's accounts, such as Mock for Death or, or Order of the Link that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. They were actually on yeah. other accounts for those I wonder individuals. If, I'm wondering if that's actually a record. It's not. Uh, the record really? on Kickstarter is over 100. Really? Who did that? Uh, it's someone who started uh, right at the beginning of when Kickstarter began. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they've kind of made sort of art bowls every month. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so, so not huge amounts of... Um... Not, not huge amounts of money, but uh, okay. I mean, not huge Kickstarter's amounts of... Yeah. Is respectful. It's probably um, a tabletop RPG record, at least. Must be. I honestly don't know. I, I should actually ask Luke at some point. Uh, Luke Crane is the head of games at Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I should probably ask him at some point, because he would definitely know. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, out of those out of those 41 Kickstarters, I've produced uh, 64 products, and that is all within the last five years. Mm. Yes. I don't think I don't think I could take the stress. I find Kickstarters really, really stressful to run, and the thought of doing forty of them. Oh my god, that gives me a headache just thinking. Kind about of as it. you said, kind of as you said. Once you get past about twenty, <laughs> <laughs> you just yeah. become immune sort of, to it. Yeah, a, uh, you just become a bit. Of, oh well, you know, I've done it twenty times. I guess. Yeah, it's, 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 I, all, I it's, terrible, it's like anything, but... isn't it? You get you get used to anything, don't you? So. Uh, Repeated exposure. Yeah, you, you do. You you get used to it after a while. You get used to the kinds of things that you do. You know, I always go on, and I I, I very very frequently talk to uh, Richard from We're Not Wizards. Mm-hmm. Um, about my Kickstarters. Um, I think I think I am actually. I believe I hold the record of his single most frequent guest with about yeah. seven appearances. <laughs> you you sort of get into a routine. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you you kind of get used to it, and. It, it has its risks and it has its worries, oh. but like anything in life, it's uh, it's just a question of understanding that and run, uh, going with the flow. Yeah, yeah. And for me, yeah. For, for me oh, it's not it's, so much about understanding it, it's just how I feel during them rather than... Even though I intellectually know exactly what's going to happen, I know what the patterns are, I know what to expect, what not to expect. Even so, you still have that sort of roller coaster of emotions as you go through a Kickstarter. I, 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 I do still, I'll, I'll be honest, I do still get very, very upset when people sort of back out of my Kickstarters for no reason. Mm. Oh, I, uh, um, yeah, I, I, you, you, I make sure I've got all the notifications turned off so I don't get those emails. That is not the sort of email you want to get while you're walking your dog or, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's surprising, you know. I actually got told once... I got told once, mm. and this is my favourite excuse ever. Mm. It was on my $1... Or one pound Kickstarter for Era Liars. Yeah. For oh, Era Liars oh. Pocket. Uh, Era Liars Pocket Edition, I gave the digital away for one pound. Yep. Yeah. And I got told it was too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, uh, and I literally said, dude, you, you're getting a full on role playing game, 26 yeah. pages, digital format for one pound. Yeah. I'm sorry it's too expensive, but this might be the wrong hobby for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's another sixty people buy a cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, then you know people people back out of Kickstarters for all sorts of different reasons. Their financial situations they change. Do. Other Kickstarters come up which they're oh, yeah. more interested in. Yeah. Sometimes they only back you yep. early on just because they're just kind of they just want to keep track of it, and they haven't decided. 
I mean, I think it's easy to intellectually know all that, though. You still feel it each time they cancel, though, don't you? Yeah, you do. You do. You, you feel like that person just doesn't want your project to succeed anymore. Yeah. Um, and, you, and you know that's not and, true, but it's... Yeah. yeah, of course you do, but it feels that way. And, and you're, you're dead right there. It, it can be a roller coaster, but as we said a few minutes ago, as with anything, you get used to it. Over mm. time, mm. you get used to it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'll ever get used to it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I approach every Kickstarter run, run with a 40. mix of excitement and dread. Run yeah. 40 Kickstarters, come back and talk to me. I don't want to run 40 <laughs> Kickstarters. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to run 40 Kickstarters. At least I hope I'm not. That's a lot of Kickstarters. I don't think there'll yeah. be anything left well, of me have... after 40 Kickstarters. You never know. I'd be this emotional gibbering wreck in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I'm that anyway. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> oh, okay. so you're, I suppose you're it helps if you start from that position, and... I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stress, stress, stress and paranoia and Just general twitching straight straight so to the hard end. that Kickstarter's not really doing anything. Yeah, it's yeah. like there you go, you forest fire. Yeah, that's nice. It's it's a good way to be. Yeah. Um, so you you don't with all this like uh, innate creative stuff that you've been doing and uh, working with other people, you don't really do any work with the um, IP market, do you? Um, I've done a little. Oh yeah, yeah. I picked up uh, I picked up a request from um, Richard Tung, uh, who writes oh, yeah, the yeah. absolutely fantastic Battle Cruiser Alamo novel series. Mm. And uh, we had a conversation, and uh, we decided that actually we'd go ahead and develop a, a game. And I came up with a fairly unique mechanical sort of trait for this game, because Ooh. in his universe, the, the sort of the foot soldiers, Espatier, Space Marines, yes. they have a very high mortality rate. Like, like in, the, in the first three books, I, I want to say about 40 or 50 of them die <laughs> on, on screen, as it were, in, in the book. Oh, goodness. Yeah, no, the mortality rate's ridiculous. So they, they all have red shirts with... or something. That seems like a poor choice of uniform, if you ask me. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if they actually wear red shirts, but uh, they do die a lot. Right. But but they die a lot. Um, and okay. uh, I sort of came up with this idea mm-hmm. of everyone having a dual character. So there's kind of a... Mm. There's an officer, because in, in his universe, the officers mostly stay on the ship and deal with the ship. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then everyone also has an espatier, yes. because they mostly go down to the planet. So that yeah. lets you really build the pressure up on the players... Because mm. not only are their officers in trouble in space, the mm. the, the Espatiers are also in trouble on the surface. But ah. it's a lot less likely the officers are going to die than the Espatiers. Mm. So, um, you know, when the Espatier dies, you can just switch that out and pull in another Espatier as your secondary character. Mm. Um, whereas the primary character kind of is still the officer, but mm. that gives you that ability to kind of have the paranoia-esque churn. Mm. Of the a uh, very the very high mortality rate, yeah, um, and the sort yeah. Of, yeah, okay. Actually, I'll, I'll be honest. Espatiers kind of make my paranoia characters look fairly long lived. Long lived. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been really good having you on, Ed. Thank you so much for coming on, Ed. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much yeah. for having me. Yeah, maybe I'll be able to come back sometime, uh, assuming I haven't burned all of my brain. Absolutely, anytime, <laughs> anytime. Well, I think that's it for this week. Thank you, everyone, as always, so much for listening. Uh, thank you to our guest. So it's goodbye from me, Russ. That's goodbye from me, Peter. And I guess it's goodbye from me as well, Ed. And it's goodbye from Ed as well. Well, that was quite simply the worst podcast I have ever had the misfortune to listen to.
Somebody will need to be punished, but I can't decide whether to use the thumbscrews on them, on their disgusting hands, or if I should simply throw one of them in the moat.'